Welcome everybody to a brand new episode of Total Nonstop Recall, episode 3. Today we are talking about Final Resolution 2005. Our special guest is Petey Williams, so you can stay tuned for that. Joining me as always, or as, well, for the third time. Is it the third time as always? Probably not. The wonderful Dave Hodgson. Dave, how are you doing on this fine afternoon? I'm doing good, how are you doing? I realized, I went back and listened to episode 2, and I realized at no stage in like the start of that podcast did I say that our guest is Chris Harris, so I've rectified that on episode 3. Yes, you gotta do the, the early tease and let people know, because I think that's the secret sauce of our podcast. You know, we can blather on about our thoughts about a pay-per-view from 15 years ago as much as we want, but I feel like that's, and I think people, some people enjoy that, but I think the real... Uh, extra bit we we add to it is, is sort of the thoughts of people who were there who were behind the scenes who were involved integrally and uh and so that uh, from what i hear it's a great pot it's a great interview that you've done with them and i'm excited to hear it myself so you're saying pete is the draw and people just don't care about us we're the undercard we're the uh, curtain jerkers i'm happy happy to be the curtain jerker for pete you have to put up with half an hour of us before you get to pete <laughs> exactly you have to take your lumps and then you get to the good stuff that's that's how i approach it but uh i think you know we're episode three we're in stride i would say by now we've cemented ourselves as the top infrequently recorded classic tna podcast so let's pat ourselves on the back for that in fairness even if you took out the infrequently recorded i think we we ticked that box even without it but yes <laughs> yeah until conrad thompson debuts a tna podcast and then and then you know, we got we got some fighting uh, fighting words going on. We're just... We are talking about Final Resolution 2005. This is January 2005. I'm sure you were very excited to see Dave that there were six episodes building up to this. That's a lot of episodes. Mm. That's a real, uh, you know, that's I uh, I watched every second of it. I'll, you'll be happy to know, and mm -hmm. uh, it's just you know I'm watching it in a different way than people who watched it then, where you had a you had it spaced out. Me, I just kind of binged through, so it's a little, I'm a little bit hazy on some of it, perhaps. But what you'll you'll have to uh, you'll have to forgive that in some cases. But but I mean, these are these are these are good, interesting shows. I mean, it's uh, the talent on it is uh, is is pretty top notch. It's it's interesting, like we talked about last time, just the mix of kind of these old WCW mainstays and the new guards, some of which are still you know competing and the top stars today, and then some of the people you kind of forgot about, and uh, so that's kind of part of the appeal for me. Yeah, just lumped in the middle of one of these shows is a Jeff Hardy against Bobby Roode match, which, you know, it's not a great match, and it was a mid-card match on Impact, but you think if a Jeff Hardy-Bobby Roode match happened in 2018 and a bunch of them happened in 2012, it's like, no, that's a big deal, but you just watch them have a random wacky match in 2005. Well, that's exactly it, yeah, it's some of these some of these encounters, and, you know, one of the pay-per-view matches is Jeff Hardy against Scott Hall, which is a match I didn't even know had ever happened. And then, of course, you have matches like AJ Styles against Samoa Joe, which hadn't happened at this point, but I believe you tweeted it has happened 63 times in uh, in, in Impact before their uh, SummerSlam Dream match. So you know, it's it's interesting, kind of the launching pad, and there's some people who are on their on their you know initial ascent here, and some people on the way down, and the, the intersections in between. Mm. We talked about all the pay per view ads. I really like this month's pay per view ad for Final Resolution. This year, my resolution is to become a better musician, to improve my table manners, to climb the corporate ladder, to lend a shoulder to a friend in need. Our resolution 
TNA Wrestling presents Final Resolution, live Sunday, January 16th on Pay-Per-View. What's your resolution? I liked it as well. I thought it was great. It was cheeky and fun in the right ways. I liked the final response of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash uh, laughing at the idea of them changing or resolving to be better. Um, you know, Kevin Nash during this whole this whole time period, I, I love Kevin Nash here with the art imitating life of, you know, basically admitting he's only there for the money and doesn't want to take bumps to the point of actually saying, I don't want to take bumps. And uh, it's, uh, I thought, but I thought this commercial was, was pretty spot on. I like AJ rubbing his belly in a very, very, I believe that he was hungry. He was he also, he belly. was holding a knife and fork while doing so just in case he didn't get it. Yes. They're like, oh, hold on. Let's, we're not, we're not getting the whole, let's get him a prop. We need props here. And Jared's like, this... I want to be a better musician. Does he get it? Because he's a guitar. Yeah. He'll play a tune, but it'll be on someone's head, not on a guitar, huh? Right. oh And like 2005 is when you start to see, like, if you watch like Asylum era, the, the, the video production isn't great. The, the video packages are very kind of like, they almost seem like parodies of wrestling video packages. They're kind of very by the numbers. And some of them are like four minutes long. It's like, we're going to do a recap of a segment from last week with dramatic music but it's also going to be four minutes long and you're like i'm just going to fall asleep during this instead and as you as you go through 2005 because we're the this this these this set of tvs moves us into 2005 out of 2004 so goodbye 2004 the the, the, the it kind of, you see it become more of a real television production as opposed to kind of like a slap a slap shot relatively thrown together wrestling event i think so too and i think that's something that even in dark times for impact they've always been able to hang their hat on is production quality which you know is is has always been basically second to the wwe and uh i think has made up for kind of shortcomings and what people would want to talk about in creative or or the talent roster through the years and uh i think it's something that that uh, has always been the feather in impacts cap so yeah i think that is the most important change that happens around this time and with the with the advent of a new tv show is is you know getting out of the asylum and 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 making a real broadcast because it, it, it seems uh uh incredibly professional so the, the tvs don't get off to a good start when monty brown calls the pay-per-view final destination so we've gone through victory road a precipice was crossed and now final destination will be my destiny and somebody mike today will get the power Which is, it's not the first time someone, I'm pretty sure Shane Douglas calls it Final Destination as well at some stage, but yeah, not knowing the name of the pay-per-view isn't great. <laughs> that might be a better name for the pay-per-view, because I mean, I don't like any pay-per-view that's like final or, uh, you know, anything like that, because then when you tack a year onto the end, it's not the final resolution, right? Well, WWE also had New Year's Revolution, which was also a play on the resolution theme. Yeah, so I just you know if it's final, make it final. Do one. This is your final resolution. Final Destination is a series of very gruesome, horrible films. Yeah, I've never seen one, but but that uh, I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a professional wrestling company just straight up took the name of a actual movie and made it their pay per view. So I don't know why they didn't go with that. 
I like the Final Destination films. Most well, yeah. like the first one because it was kind of neat. It's like they see their death and then their death comes true. And then the second one, you're like, okay, it's still kind of fun. And then by the time you get to the fifth, it's like, all right, guys, we get it. You just stop, <laughs> stop making the films. And then they did stop making the films, which means it'll be rebooted in about two years. What about a Final Destination angle in wrestling, where you have a performer seeing how they're going to be beaten? in the ring and then it and then it comes true that's never been done so, so we're, we're gonna have a psychic pro wrestler i think that would be cool we're gonna turn you this into a, that's so raven <laughs> i think that'd be great you know what always infuriated me about that could be so raven, raven who is the psychic too oh yeah. yeah you can get raven simone to be like you are the real raven exactly raven versus raven like an undertaker versus undertaker <laughs> uh, angle you know what always infuriated me about that so raven Tell me. She would see the future, right? Uh, I never watch a show, but you tell me. Okay, so she, she she has psychic powers and she sees the future. And every time, the future is the future she creates by intervening. So it, it, it only happens because she sees the future and she intervenes to make that future happen. And she never works that out over like 200 episodes. And you know what else is that, you know, it sounds like she's affected a lot of good with these sort of interventions and psychic things. But you think just once... And 200 episodes, she would inadvertently create a dictator. Yeah. Like, like just to weigh things out. Like, sorry, if you're going to intervene, there's going to be hopefully some good and probably some <laughs> bad, too. That's why, you know, there's going to be a death spot in there. Isn't I think that's actually like part of Final Destination, that one of them cheats death, but it causes like horrible ramifications. Uh, yeah, you never want to mess with the past. I think that's something you and I can both agree on. Yeah. So that that's a lot to do. So Monty Brown calling the show, show Final Destination means that some of the characters are suddenly going to die. Yes. Uh, you know, Mikey Bats is going to meet a very horrible demise, which is actually true because he always does. Yeah, he always gets squashed. Or like, like Cassidy Riley eventually gets his fingers broken by Raven. So maybe that, this is what he's foreseeing. Yeah. I mean, if they just took horrible injuries that happened in the ring and then shot a, shot a vignette to air before it, wouldn't that be cool? Oh, wait. I've, I've worked out what Monty is foreseeing. What's that? The death of the career of Triton. There you go. Well, what? wait, 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 wait. Did that not work out well or something? Oh, you'll find out. It works fine. Yeah, we had the first couple of Triton vignettes on these episodes of Impact. In my yearning, I slept. And in my sleeping, dreamt. And in my dream, I beheld a spectacular vision. Mighty and bold superhuman power from a distant beyond and when i awoke i realized my dream wasn't a dream he's coming mighty and bold they're actually well, these are well produced they're actually kind of cool vignettes they're like like they're uh, cool yeah they're, they're stylish with with empty buzzwords but they're cool empty buzzwords it's like oh this triton guy's gonna be cool but yeah triton. i thought yeah, that's my takeaway. I think this guy's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited to see him. Mm. Mm. That, ex quite... that excitement will last a long time, Dave. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, I'm ready. My favorite thing about these episodes as well is Dusty Rhodes is writing the show. He's, he's Booker at this stage. And there's an angle where Tracy and Trinity are fawning all over him and, and fighting for his love. So he's just like... You know, Daddy, it would be great if I lived in a truck and we had attractive women falling all over me, Daddy. And then, you know, his wish comes true. And, you know, who can fault him? You know, I, I like 
the thing about Dusty is I don't know if you could do this with a lot of characters and have it still be entertaining and fun, but it is with, for him because it's Dusty Rhodes. So I think it uh, it works. I don't like, you know, Johnny Fairplay. I kind of know who that is. He interjects himself into uh, into the storyline, and uh, that's not so great. Do, but, you, do um, you not know who Johnny Fairplay is? He was on Survivor. Yeah. Do you he not know why he's famous? Survivor. Um, I know that Danny Bonaduce almost killed him once, but <laughs> um, he well he was like he was like a bad guy on Survivor, right? Yeah. The fa- the famous thing he did on Survivor that makes everybody hate him is you know the way when you get so far into Survivor they send you letters from your family and it's like oh it's always a very emotional time because you haven't heard from your family in three weeks or whatever. He arranged it so that if he got that far, his family member would come and tell him that his grandma died, even though she hadn't died, to get sympathy in the game of Survivor to try and help win it. Oh, shit. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's uh, that's the ultimate heel move. I That's pretty cool, actually. All right. I'm on, I'm on Johnny Fairplay's side. Is his real name Johnny Fairplay, or is that... I, I have no idea. Surely it's not. That especially like his Too name ironic. is Johnny Fairplay, and then yeah, and he doesn't play fair. It's no, probably not. His name's John yeah. Dalton. This is very upsetting. All right, I I read or heard that he um he later in life and later in Roddy Piper's life he sort of became Roddy Piper's uh like handler or someone who traveled with him to help him around and just sort of like negotiate the airport and stuff. So this is probably where they met. Is TNA. Yeah, cause, and both of them weren't around much longer after this. So maybe they're like, we're out of a job. We, we need, we're in this together, Johnny. Well, probably Johnny Fairplay's a bit of a David Arquette, right? Like he's been a longtime fan and kind of happy to be there and then uh, and being part of the storyline. So I think that's pretty cool. On one of the Asylum shows, he was once murdered by AJ Styles with a powerbomb. Like Jeez. legitimately destroyed the man. It was very satisfying. <laughs> Well, he doesn't play fair, so he deserves what he gets. Yeah. These TV episodes, they didn't have six weeks worth of story in these TV episodes. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, the whole hook for the Ultimate X match is just like, PD, you're defending the belt in an Ultimate X match. We're going to just have some matches and Dusty's going to decide who's in it. It's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think they're kind of working out here how to, how to, you know, I guess this is something they had never done is the six-week push, especially coming out of the weekly TV era, so... They're figuring it out, and some things work better than others. But, um, but yeah, it's a interesting time for sure. And I mean, the 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 pay per view ended up paying off a lot of these storylines, even if they kind of dragged on a little too long. But uh, but it was interesting. My favorite story from these TVs is the story of uh, Dusty Rhodes trying to drive a wedge between Kevin Nash and Jeff Jarrett because the main event of Final Resolution was meant to be Jeff Jarrett versus Randy Savage. That fell through because Randy Savage had no interest in losing. So then they rushed together that three-way match. So it was Nash against DDP against Monty with the winner facing Jarrett in the main event. But uh, Dusty's big thing was like, he's going to put Nash in that match just so it drives a wedge between Nash and Jarrett and breaks up the Kings of Wrestling. And there's a really good angle in one of these shows where there's a big brawl in the ring. All like DDP's brawling with Nash and Jarrett and Hall. And Jarrett just accidentally hits Hall. And it's usually that's contrived. Usually it seems like forced or it's like, ah, he saw him coming. But like it, it felt organic and it felt like a real like good moment to split up that relationship. Yeah, it, it could another. That's exactly what you said. It could have seemed hokey in another environment with other uh, 
talent portraying it, but this was this was good, and the whole, and the crowd had the exact reaction that they were intended to have, which is like, oh, you're, you did it now, mm-hmm. um, and it it was great. It uh, you know, Scott Hall is exactly the right guy to take that sort of one punch, uh, one punch bump, and it's uh, you know, it's it was probably, but even after this sort of uh, would be breakup of of. Uh, of the Kings of wrestling, Scott Hall continues to wear the Elvis stuff and continues to wear the Elvis wig. And I think he's just happy to cover up as best he can at this point in his career. In fact, we'll get to that in a moment just for that right. match, but that's the Elvis garb is just his means of cheating. Now <laughs> there's so many places to hide things. Exactly. And like we go through these six weeks of TV, and the the whole story is like Raven has and Watts. There's Watts is doing something to DDP, and like there's a forty five second Raven monologue where he's just like, "Yeah, DDP, he loves me because he hates you because I told him that you're sleeping with his wife and that broke up his family, and he loves me." Oh, oh wait, he's standing behind me, isn't he? Yes, it's like that friend the gym's on. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. You see, you call Watts' wife. Telling her that it's me. Yeah, yeah. And then he's screwing around on the road, and we both know he ain't. Well, hey, hey. Samantha. You crossed him his wife. You crossed him his best friend, me. You were never hey, much. Hey, and you crossed him his job. Well, first of all, you were never much of a friend to me, so I can't see you being much of a friend to him. Second of all, I won't cost him his job. You know why? Because I like having him around. Third of all, Paige, he's never going to listen to you. Because I got him wrapped around my little finger. <laughs> and what? What do you think? He's standing right behind me. <laughs> and like, that's just the whole story laid out <laughs> in 45 seconds instead of like telling it over like the six weeks. And then they just set up the pay per view match. It's like, guys, you had six weeks to do this. Yeah, you could have dragged this out, let Raven do more of his long monologues that he loves, but it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, maybe, maybe that's a ripple effect from kind of the main event not being what they had expected going in because it seemed like you know you would have done raven ddp again or or something of that nature i can't imagine that eric watts against raven was was plan a but uh but yeah it's a little bit odd and they're wholesale changes of the show because they were meant to set up jeff hardy and abyss but we'll get to that in a minute when we're talking about the baby a little more there mm. uh, what was the other match that was oh yeah uh, obviously it was meant to be scott hall against hector garza but hector garza ended up being um, caught at the border for steroids and then sent back to Mexico, which was oh, dear. a big story at the time. But and it, uh, Garza, like on these shows, they did the fan voting, and Garza was voted one to watch in 2005, and then never appeared for TNA in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's a crying shame, and I hate when I get popped at the border for steroids. It happens more often than I'd hope. Anytime you're going down to the U.S. for impact tapings, it's just like oh, I gotta hide my steroids. <laughs> Well, I got my regular bag and I got my steroid bag, and I, I hope that uh, they choose one and not the other to uh, pilfer through. So th- those are most of the major points I had coming out of TV. You should watch the if if you're thinking about what you know what you should watch on these shows. Check out the um, Chris Daniels against Chris Saban match on the Go Home Show. I think that's a good match. It was a good match, and of course, and what I wanted to bring up from these these shows is possibly the best. A wrestler attire that I've ever seen, Ooh. and I don't know how, what's that. Go on. Well, I don't. I don't know. I want. I want people to see this. I don't want the, what the best thing. Maybe if you Google Monty Brown turtleneck, but maybe oh. just this once, we should make it uh, 
the podcast art just so everyone sees it as the very first thing but uh during one of these episodes monty brown comes out to uh i honestly can't remember what he's doing but he comes just comes out in sort of his street clothes and he's wearing an enormous mustard yellow turtleneck it's amazing it's amazing it's so large it looks so comfortable and uh i don't know i just i just love that he either decided to wear this or was coached into wearing this but you know and it's Monty Brown, who is an, uh, an enormous man, probably 280 pounds of pure muscle. And yet he's swimming in this turtleneck, <laughs> this this uh, canary yellow turtleneck. And it's just, uh, it's wonderful. I like the, the, that segment. He's coming out, uh, Dusty Rhodes is announcing the three people who are going to be in the match to potentially be Jared Challenger. So it's just like, and the big challenger is Monty Brown. And he comes out wearing his dopey turtleneck that he's just like, woo, look at my lovely turtleneck. <laughs> and do you think now here's a question for you about this turtleneck do you think this is his own clothing or do you think it's something that is sort of like they they put on him to make try to make him more presentable well he begins like later he starts wearing like a muscle tight leopard print which is like more on brand with the serengeti character yes. <laughs> and also accentuates his very large muscles i can't imagine like dusty's like i have this yellow turtleneck lying around i think i think it'll really make monty a star yeah i don't think so too but the reason i wondered is because they're shooting this at universal studios on the back lot there's like probably like those those clothing racks of costumes anywhere anywhere and what he's wearing looks exactly like you know how there will be commercials where you have a person dressed up to personify something and this is what you would wear if it was a commercial about like getting stains out of clothing (laughs) And it's set at a barbecue, and the voiceover would be something like, you know, like, does, does mustard ever ruin your picnic? And then someone like Monty Brown would come in wearing this thing and just clean house and, you know, knock over the barbecue and things like that. It's what you would wear if you wanted to be the human exemplification of mustard. That's what he's wearing. So that's why I wondered, is this something that was just laying around on the back lot and he found it? But I, th- I think I'm with you, is that he... uh he at one point chose the. He saw this on a clothing rack, went up to it, probably tried it on. And he's like, perfect. Or maybe he plays Big Bird on the side, and like you know, you, you don't want to you want to cover yourself up just in case part of your yourself is showing. You don't want to scare children when they see the Big Bird is not in fact a large bird. So you wear this large turtleneck to make sure you're entirely yellow, just in case anything is showing underneath the Big Bird costume. That is a great point. That's probably exactly what it is. Maybe he played. Uh big bird at some point in the in his past because that's exactly what it is it would fill in the gaps because it's so large so it's basically everything but chin up is what you see with him wearing this and uh yeah he he has no reason that to be body shameful he should not be wearing this you know the adams family character that is all hair yes cousin it yes this basically makes monty brown the turtleneck version of cousin it that's it cousin turtleneck yeah the alpha turtleneck is what it's called. I want him to wear this turtleneck forever. <laughs> that should be, you know, at some point when there's an impact museum or, or some sort of exhibit, I think this thing needs to be on a Monty Brown shaped mannequin. This is the main event. Yeah. I, 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 I almost don't want to talk about the pay-per-view. I just want to talk about this <laughs> turtleneck. We should do a fashion podcast instead. I think so. We, we Yeah, exactly. The fashion of early TNA. I think people would be into that. That's enough to talk about. All right. I'm going to start our final resolution talk with 
a okay. hot take that I think Elix Skipper against Sanjay Dot is one of the most underrated matches in the history of Impact. Absolutely, this this match blew me away. It was uh, uh, pretty incredible, and you know this is Elix Skipper coming off of he comes in pretty hot because he's coming off of his huge uh, steel cage Hurricane Rana that he pulled, and so. You know, I don't know if Elix Skipper was ever a bigger deal than he was right now, mm-hmm. but um, you know, and it's aided by this this uh, sympathetic Orlando crowd who has who has seen all these guys. You know, they they know them, and uh, they brought it. This is I, I had never heard about this match, and you know, we should put it up as a full match on a Monday at some point because this is uh, certainly not people think that something they even know to, people even know to go hunting for, and uh, we should put it on display because this match was badass. Yeah, because the crowd are going nuts. And as you said, Skipper is right off the cage walk. So people are like, people have a lot of fondness for Elix Skipper right now. And it is start of the start of like his X Division singles push that is like, oh, Elix Skipper is going to be the guy. And obviously he's wrestling Sanjay. And Sanjay's great. Yeah. So like this match rules. And like not a person on earth ever mentions Elix Skipper against Sanjay Dodd from Final Resolution 2005. And it's a great match. Well, we're mentioning it right now. Everybody go and watch this match. Oh, wait, for a Dustin Rhodes debuted, so not only did Dusty have people fighting over uh, have ladies fighting over him, he also hired his son. Or he returned, yeah. technically. He, he appeared on some Asylum shows, but this was his big Dustin Rhodes return. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, this is kind of some of the juxtaposition that I was talking about earlier, but yeah, I mean, especially coming off the heels of a pretty crazy X Division match, you have uh, something that's very much rooted in, you know, typical Southern wrestling. And uh, yeah, I always always like seeing Dustin Rhodes, but it, it, to me, and now it is at the point where it's weird not to see him as Gold Dust, especially when he starts to mix in the Gold Dust mannerisms, because I assume he was kind of fresh off a run in uh, WWE with that character and kind of in between stints. So, you know, that's the stuff that that at, at this point people recognize him for. So, bit of a bit of a, it kind of kind of sat weirdly with me a bit, but I, it's kind of never disappointed to see him. Was this his run where he was at the end of it? He became Black Rain. No, I was about to mention Black Rain. That's that's two years later. He comes back again okay. as Black Rain with his rat Misty you. and his split personality. Which you're like, oh, people remember him as Goldust. Do you think there's people who are like, oh, it's a, it's Black Rain. It's the Black Rain guy. That's what I do. Hey, it's Black Rain. Oh, Black Rain and Relic. Do you know Relic is killer spelled backwards, Dave? Hold on, let me check. <laughs> let me write it down. So a Relic. Relic, so it would be K I L L E. Yeah, it is. It I, I it does say killer. So there you go. Uh, I know that. It's it's one of the the insane. But it blows everybody's mind. No no one's ever mentioned it. No one's ever said that out loud. And it's like whoa. Yeah, it's kind of one of those. Um, you know, ABBA spelled backwards is ABBA. Oh my god, is it? Yeah. Dude, crunch the numbers. I'm telling you, it's true. We had Eric Watts against Raven. This was Eric Watts' last match. He disappeared off the face of the earth. He's only had two matches in his career since, never mind in TNA. So this, wow. is, this is basically the end of Eric Watts' like, mainstream pro wrestling career. His big pay-per-view match against Raven. And he beat Raven. He did. It was a strange result. So why, and Raven obviously it would be around for for years after this at this point, so that's a bit curious that they'd um, have Eric Watts win in, in his, basically almost his final match. Um, I don't really understand. It's a strange one. And they do, like, they write him off. Raven throws him off stage. 
<laughs> <laughs> so he's just like he lost, but Raven had the last laugh. Yeah, I guess there's that. So, and I do guess the story is that Raven manipulated him into thinking DDP was cheating on his wife, and Ra- there's a line of dialogue that is like, "Oh, he's left his wife." So maybe they thought like, "Yeah, he kind of has to win, doesn't he?" Yeah, he kind of exactly give him a little glimmer of hope before you toss him off the stage and. Yeah, another yeah, Eric Watts. I know he had, he'd been around since like the eighties, right? Yeah, it's on yeah. Bill Watts. My favorite part of this oh, match what? is Eric Watts it does like a springboard reverse missile drop kick. <laughs> which like he doesn't look over his shoulder either though, so he's not like a hundred percent certain Raven is there. So like if Raven's not like on it, he's just gonna flop face face first on the mat. <laughs> yeah, well, well God bless him. Eric Watts is a strange wrestler. Yeah. Had a good run. We then had, I think, is, I don't know, one of the most random matches in the history of Impact. It's Jeff Hardy versus Scott Hall with Rowdy Roddy Piper as the special guest referee. How about that star power in this match? This is just a crazy, almost a throwaway match, but three of the you know biggest stars there ever were. It's it's so strange. And I do love the star of this match is Roddy Piper is a, a very diligent referee. He's feeling down Scott Hall and finding all sorts of chains and brass knucks and other assorted cheating devices on Hall. And then Hall proceeds to, to feel down Roddy Piper and find some handcuffs on him. So it's like they, they know each other's <laughs> tricks. Yeah, I like that. And and I, I this is my favorite part of the match as well. Just classic kind of kind of. Uh, storyline stuff going on and then I thought it was probably best that they didn't frisk Jeff Hardy at this point oh, no. just because you know who knows what there would be I, I think they stopped it was fine with them frisking each other it wouldn't have gone any further mm. were you very confused by the abyss part of the end of this match a little bit yeah um, yeah where did that come from were you because like Abyss shows up and beats the heck out of Jeff Hardy and Mike Tanay and Don West are like oh my god it's Abyss even though Abyss has been on this show for about a year and a half at this stage so they're like why is this guy who's on our roster suddenly beating up another guy who's on our roster well that's a that, that's a wrestling thing though where it's like you you he didn't really bite well they had they had wrestled I guess recently so yeah it is a little perplexing that they you know come to think of it that they would act like this is some crazy circumstance this is professional wrestling all they do is attack each other usually when they're not supposed to the reason they are so surprised is this was the period where abyss was flirting with going to the world wrestling federation is it now mm, his contract was up uh i think he actually gave notice and there, there there was a period where he was either going to w or staying in tna which is the reason when he showed up here because he was on none of the tvs in between even though he lost the monty brown at turning point so uh, in that stretch, he wasn't on TV. So when he returned here, uh, the, the, the the reason Mike Tanay and Don West, like it is very confusing. Like they freak out. It's like, what's Abyss doing here? It's like, he's not supposed to be here. It's like people jump each other all the time. It's fine. Raven just threw Eric <laughs> Watts off a stage. <laughs> but yeah, Abyss was thought of going to WWE. The rumor was he's going to WWE to wrestle The Undertaker at WrestleMania. And he stayed with TNA and then showed up here to feud with Jeff Hardy. Well, God bless him and thank you. God that he did, you know that guy's just such, such, uh, such glue. But how? That's that's like probably one of my top what if. What if Abyss had gone to WWE? What would that have been like? I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming he'd play a pretty similar character. But you know, he could have become a mainstay. He could have become the the new Kane, or he could have, um, you know, it could have been one of these people who come in highly touted and don't last very long. But uh, but uh, I'm very glad that he stayed. 
especially 2005 Abyss, who would have been at like the peak of his powers. Like he's 2005 Abyss is really, 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 really good. Yes. And in a match against the Undertaker, that would have been during the streak era. It probably would have done a lot to establish him, but I am very glad he stayed as well. Yes, that guy's a is a wonderful gentleman. We then had a very strange triple threat match, Monty Brown against DDP against Kevin Nash, where you could win by like pinfall submission or throwing your opponent over the top rope, which is basically, we don't want Kevin Nash to take a pin, so how the hell can we get him out of this match without pinning him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially when, when you have X Division matches where everyone is going over the top rope at every point. It's like, ah, it's not really the criteria I would put in there to see who's the best, but uh, I was surprised by this match outcome, not knowing the the outcome and who would end up in the main event. I thought it would be, you know, these are all three. Actually, the the Monty Brown versus Jeff Jarrett match is probably the least fresh match of the three. So uh, I, I thought it was going to be DDP or Nash and was pleasantly surprised to see that, uh, that Monty got it. Especially like Monty beating two former WCW world champions. Two like like legitimately good stars, and he pinned he pinned DDP. He didn't pin Nash, yeah. but he he actually did pin DDP. So it's like it's a statement of intent, a statement of intent that should have led to Monty winning the belt. But we'll get to that in a minute. I guess so. <sighs> and uh, <laughs> you'd assume Nash would have won the match because the story going into the match was uh, the show was Nash and Jarrett, which does pay off eventually. But I think I think most people going into the show would have assumed Nash was going to win based on the fact that they were teasing the Nash and Jarrett ascension. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It just seemed like naturally where they'd go, so that was a little uh, nice little red herring planted there for you, wasn't it? It was a misdirect, but also misdirect. one that paid off. There you go. You were talking about old school Southern wrestling. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any greater illustration of top-notch, good old school Southern wrestling than America's Most Wanted versus Team Canada, which is... People talk about this match, so it's not like the most underrated match in TNA history, but it maybe is. This match is amazing. Yeah, it's uh, and and when you take that kind of the Southern wrestling you referred to, or I referred to, whoever referred to, and add in you know four guys in their prime who can really go. You got Scott Demore, you know, doing his thing at ringside. It was just the crowd was at fever pitch. This was an incredible match, and um, I think something that uh, TNA really hung its hat on as well at this time is having championship matches on pay-per-view that felt like they really meant something, mm-hmm. um, particularly, you know, in, in terms of uh, being very good uh, quality matches, the, the tag championships and the X Division championships, all of which coming into this pay-per-view were held by Team Canada. So uh, this match was awesome, and I liked, you know, bringing back some elements of the Johnny Divine interference, but having it not pay off this time, and just felt very uh, smartly booked not overbooked and and man i i really like this match yeah this match is so good and like i think i mentioned this to pd in our interview in a minute but i think the amw team canada match and the ultimate x match is the best one-two punch or at least one of the best one-two punches in impact pay-per-view history like these two matches back to back and this was like peak team canada where like everyone hates the canadians and they full-on hate the Canadians. And like, there's the, the good, wholesome Americans who are fighting the dastardly Canadians. And they just have this amazing tag team match. It's You have to go out of your way to see this match. Because like the, the, people talk about Styles Daniels Joe. People talk about Triple X AMW. People talk about all the other great matches in the history of this company. Not enough people talk about this match as one of like the truly... like uh, like Skipper and Dodd is like a, a really good match no one talks about. This is a phenomenal match. Not enough people talk about. 
Yeah, well, that th- that's what this podcast is for, is unearthing the gems. And I think this is this is definitely one that I had no idea was coming up that was going to be uh, kind of that next level match. So people check it out. And when you think AMW had the Triple X match of the month before, this match this month, AMX are great. AMW are great. Yes. Yeah, they, uh, yeah, I know people talk about them in terms of being a, a good tag team, but they were great. And, and them and Team Canada and, and all that in the mix is, is worth checking out. Speaking of Team Canada, PD Williams would go on to lose the ultimate or the X Division Championship in an Ultimate X match to AJ Styles in what is probably still to this day the best Ultimate X match. I would I would think and hope so. This was match was just wall to wall, incredible. These guys brutalized each other. I thought they made probably the best use of the structure that mm-hmm. that any trio has done. And there are two uh, two spots that that are still gift in in. And uh, and talked about and shown to this day. The first of which being uh, AJ is hanging from uh, from from the ropes, and I believe it's Chris Saban comes in with a drop kick. Mm-hmm. It's a drop kick. Yep. And uh, and AJ does basically a full rotation in the air and and kind of somersaults and lands on his back and a bump that just you could see it a thousand times and you're still gonna gasp every single time. It's it's nutty. And uh, and the finish for this match, which is um, which is the the you you explain this one? So uh, Saban and PD are up on the the structure. AJ's had his hand hurt through the match, so he can't climb. So Saban and PD are fighting over the belt. They pull the belt down, but it doesn't drop. And the rules of Ultimate X is you have to hit the mat with a belt. If you don't hit the mat with the belt, you're not the winner. So Styles is on the apron. PD and Saban are on the cables. Styles springs from the apron with a flying like floor forearm smash. Style knocks the belt out of PD and Saban's hands. Picks it up. He's champion. Because it's one, it's an amazing visual. We uh, we talk about this a lot more with PD. PD goes into like a lot of like the thought that went into that finish, and also whether or not it was going to happen. I think it's an interesting conversation if you if you listen to the back half of this podcast. But like, it's a payoff of the story because the story is Styles' arm is injured, so he can't actually climb the cables. So he wins in a way that doesn't climb the cables, and it just looks so cool. It was amazing, and it makes perfect use of of the match type and the structure, and it's it's logical, and yet it's also pretty incredible to see. So, you know, it, uh, yeah, I, I, w- I mean, the the trio of matches from the first three three hour pay per views are worth worth watching through. We have uh, PD beating AJ, PD beating Chris, and then this three way that incorporates all of them in Ultimate X. It's you know that's worth the hour of your time. Go check that out, folks, because uh, yeah, this is a uh, you know, again, it, it it feels like the ultimate at, at X match or the X division championship match delivers as sort of the de facto uh, main event. Uh, not that the not that the true uh, world championship match was was not worthwhile, but it, it certainly delivered in a way that kind of would would leave you uh, leave you happy even if it ended there. And you talked about that dropkick. Words do not do that dropkick justice. Because you no. think, oh, he does a springboard dropkick and he falls from the cables. Okay. And even if you think, oh, he does a springboard dropkick and he does a flip and falls from the cables, you go, okay. But the way that bump looks and the way AJ just sits up with that, like, thousand-yard stare into the distance that, like, he's dead. He's just been yes. killed by Chris Saban. It's so cool. You have to watch this match. This match is amazing. And, like, I'm not going to say Ultimate X matches can lack substance, but generally they lean more on spectacle than substance. And not that this match doesn't have spectacle, but it has tons of substance as well. It's so good. It's it's I think it's still the high watermark for Ultimate X matches. That's right, and I want to know. I'm you know I'm hooked in now. Like after watching a couple of few months, and I want to see what comes next with with X Division Championship and what they cook up next here. 
And of course, this is AJ winning the belt back. There you go. It, 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 uh, it's kind of a nice conclusion to this little portion, so I don't know if there's more to come after this, but this feels satisfying. And obviously, Team Canada is now left with, you know, they, they had all the, had most of the gold and they've lost it, so what's going to come next for them? I don't know. And of course, most importantly on this show, Dave, Monty should have won! Now, I agree with that, but I want to know what the, give me the historical context for... This almost seems like a meme. Because, like, Jeff Jarrett was a champion for longer than anybody wanted him to be, and he would continue to be champion for longer than anyone wanted him to be. Monty Brown was, like, the hot new hand. He was the, like, he has charisma, he has personality, he has the star look, he has, like, the, the mainstream background. He has everything you want out of a champion. And this was the moment. This was the moment where Monty Brown, he beat the two former stars, he beat DDP and Kevin Nash, he had the, the he was screwed out of the belt a month ago before Turning Point, he went into this Jarrett match, and it's like, just put the belt on Monty, Monty is great, just put the belt on Monty, and knowing that it never happens, spoiler for you Dave, but knowing that oh. Monty Brown never wins the belt after this, and I think he only has one more title shot in like the history of, of Impact after this, it's just... Um, there was no reason Jarrett should have kept this belt. He should have put the belt on Monty. Well, that's you just ruined my weekend. Now that I know he never wins the world championship, so thanks for that. You're welcome. And yeah, I mean, we've talked about kind of the the you know Southern wrestling roots of the company and how it's how it's grappling with sort of a more, forging forward into a more X division and and you know dynamic future. And I feel like this is a spot where probably very much suffers from sort of the Southern mentality of keeping the belt on the, uh, the top bad guy and having him fend off all the comers. Um, because, you know, this is a spot where it feels like it would have created a real groundswell. And, but yet it stays with Jeff Jarrett for, I'm assuming, you know, at least a little while more into the future. So, but the match itself was great. I mean, at least you can't say that it didn't, uh, take, you know, everything short of Monty Brown getting hit by a truck to, to beat him. He takes a guitar shot, he takes a chair shot to the face, he takes another guitar shot, and I think multiple strokes to finally be beaten. Is that how you remember it? Yeah, there's, there's, it's funny, they do go all in. I think it was about three, he did three strokes? That's a lot of strokes, man. Oh, man. I'm so mad Monty didn't win the belt here. <laughs> well, uh, he's always going to have that turtleneck. That is true. The turtleneck is Gold the real championship. championship. Exactly. The, you know that, and I'm I'm upset that the turtleneck didn't actually become an on-air uh, championship where people would wrestle Monty for the turtleneck, and whoever was the turtleneck champion wore the turtleneck, and you could have had angles where someone stole the turtleneck from the champ, and they're trying to hunt them down. Um, In fairness, if that, you were wearing me, that turtleneck, step. you'd you'd very you'd be seen very quickly. <laughs> that's true. You could see someone from uh, from satellite wearing that thing that to me is the real misstep and now we talk to the wonderful two-time exhibition champion pd williams about this show and his time and impact including some scott steiner tidbits so have fun with that Welcome back to Total Nonstop Recall. It is my honor and privilege to be joined at this time by two-time X-Division champion, the Canadian destroyer, Maple Leaf Muscle himself, P.D. Williams. P.D., thanks for joining me today. Hey, how's she going, eh? 
Oh, you, you, you start full Canadian, everyone's going to be so happy. Oh, man, that, every time I start my own podcast, The Wrestling Perspective, I always say, how is she going? And it's like kind of like my trademark. So we're, we're talking about Final Resolution 2005 on this episode, but I figure we'll, we'll start at the start. How did you get started in TNA? Um, well, uh, they wanted to uh, form a Team Canada because apparently there was an X-Cup uh, kind of going on. It was between Mexico and... It's not Team USA. It was Team TNA. And they it, it went off really well. So they're like, hey, let's get some other uh, you know, countries in there. And Team Canada was one of them. And um, it, it, it was supposed – I wasn't supposed to be in it, first off. It was supposed to be uh, Teddy Hart, Jack Evans, Johnny Devine, and uh, Davey Boy Smith Jr. But uh, you know, Harry Smith, he – he wanted to finish school and stuff like that, and so he couldn't make the tapings. So Scott Demore had pitched, you know, oh, I know this, I, I got this kid named Petey Williams, and he's a really good worker and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, if I had to describe him to you, he would picture, you know, Buff Bagwell, but you put him in a dryer. And when he came out of the dryer, though, he learned how to work. <laughs> so... Um, they were like, okay, he's hired. So it was just supposed to be a one-off thing, um, and, and that's what we did. And I was happy with it. And then they called me back one other time. So that was in February of 2004. Then they called me back in March for some sort of six-man scramble-type match. I, I remember Frankie Gazarian being in there in Amazing Red among some other, um, some other wrestlers. And then Scott called me, and he said, hey, we're going to be doing a like a super – I don't even know what it was called, like an international X cup where we have a bunch of teams and we have points and all that kind of stuff. And you're going to be the captain of team Canada. Um, so the new team was going to be myself, Johnny divine and the new members were Bobby Roode and Eric young. And, um, from there, you know, we, we did our work for a few months and then, um, we got the Fox sports net deal and then they signed us, um, uh, immediately when as soon as we secured that deal and they wanted us on the Fox Sports Net television show. Did you know the the other members of Team Canada particularly well? Were you friendly cuz uh, uh, Oh yeah. So like Rude yeah. Young and and Divine. Yeah, well before uh, uh Team Canada on in, uh on TNA. Um you know, when I first started wrestling in whatever it was 2000, uh Bobby Rude was around, Eric Young was around. Uh they wrestled for Border City Wrestling. And that's, you know, my home promotion. And I've wrestled uh, Eric Young anyways, like a bunch of times prior to, to Impact. And I know um, I know Eric Young, he was in TNA. Uh, and, and he had like a couple explosion matches and other type of, uh, you know, those weekly pay-per-view matches uh, prior to joining Team Canada. So in, initially they didn't want him on Team Canada because they said, you know... We've already we wanted new faces. We didn't want guys that you know have been uh, you know losing matches on Explosion and all that kind of stuff. But they said you know uh, he's a great worker and we we vouched for him and we got him on the team and the rest is history. You were talking about the the Fox Sportsnet deal. You were on the you were in the first match on the first show. Was that like was there pressure on you? It's like out of the gate on the first show on national television. It's you guys. Um. It, it wasn't a lot of pressure. The pressure was, um, like, they signed us uh, to that deal that day, pretty much. Um, so we finished up our, our Team Canada, you know, International X Cup or whatever it was called. And they said, okay, you know, see you later, Petey Williams. See you later, Eric Young. See you later, Johnny Devine. 
and they wanted to sign Bobby Roode. And uh, they called us like days later, I believe, and said, hey, um, we, we want Team Canada on, on, on Fox Sportsnet. You know, you guys have a lot of heat. You guys are an awesome stable. And um, the only problem is that you actually have to sign a deal because they wanted everybody appearing on the television show to be under contract. And that wasn't a problem to me because I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a job. I'll sign a, a long-term deal. Great. And, and I was, uh, we were, I was very comfortable. I, I, I don't think any of us were nervous, um, even though we were the first match on our first ever TV show. And just because we, we, we just went out there and did what we always did. You know, we knew we had all, we had chemistry and stuff. It was, I remember myself. Uh, Bobby Roode and Eric Young versus, I think, Sanjay Dutt, Amazing Red, and Hector Garza. And we went out there, we delivered, and, uh, I, I mean, the, the rest is history. So I, I didn't have any nerves whatsoever. I was just happy to be there. I remember the flight down. We all kind of took the same flight because we had just filmed um, uh, one of our weekly um, pay-per-views on Wednesday. Then we filmed there Thursday for it to air on Friday. And just on our way down, you could just feel the vibe, like, everybody you felt was in this together. Like we're, we're creating history and it was just so much like positive um, morale in the locker room. You didn't feel nervous at all. You look at the X division of that generation and like moving in 2005 styles, Daniels, Joe, Saban, Shelley, yourself, Shane, amazing red, all of these people, Loki would come the year after Kazarian, all of these people who like, if you look at the style of pro wrestling in 2018, it's like that's that's the influence of it, isn't it? Yeah, and I say this all the time because a lot of people ask me, like, what's next for the X Division in 2018 because you're still wrestling like the 2004 style. And I said, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure what's next for the X Division. I mean, I, I guess we're just, you know, living off of our uh, notoriety, I guess. I, I, I don't know. But if you look at back then, you know, in 2004 – those style of matches that's what you're currently seeing all around the world doesn't matter what company what weight class you're in those are the type of matches you're seeing so we really you don't realize it at the time in 2004 but we really made history and we set the bar for how pro wrestling was going to be in the future so that brings us to final resolution 2005 we've watched the first two shows and i i don't want to big up your ego pd but I think you're kind of the MVP of these first three monthly pay-per-views because there's the Styles match on the first one, the Saban match on the second, and then the Ultimate X on the third, which I think are, are three of the better matches in the show, and you're one of the focal points, obviously, the exhibition champion at the time. Like, did Again, was there any pressure on you? These are the first monthly pay-per-views, the big events, the kind of the tentpole events you, you saw from wrestling pay-per-views for the last 20 years or whatever, and you're in a feature role in all of them. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I guess there was a little bit of pressure, um, but, you know, I was in the ring with AJ, true professional, Chris Saban, also a true professional. Um, so I knew uh, we'd work well together. Uh, the first pay-per-view against AJ at Victory Road, um, since that was our first monthly pay-per-view, um, it was kind of, I, I guess, it, it was different. It, was, it, it wasn't nerve-wracking. There was some pressure because, you know, if you look at all the hype, because we hyped that up from, um, I think that aired... When did it air? That was November. Probably November. November. They, we've been hyping it since September. Because September and, is when the Nashville shows ended, yeah. So they, that entire yeah. run-up was, was a victory road. So you had two months of hype, 
uh, for myself against AJ Styles. And if you looked at all the promotional packaging, even the poster, um, the cold open of the show, just everything that's on video, I'm nowhere to be found. And it's all AJ. Like AJ Styles was the TNA poster boy. And I'm like, well, I guess, you know, this has been a good X Division title run. <laughs> uh, I'm, they just built me up so AJ could, you know, beat me. And then when I arrived at the show, they said, yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be winning against AJ Styles. And I'm like, wait, what? Like that, that's unheard of. Um, I, I, I didn't expect that to happen. And, you know, I look at it in hindsight now, it kind of made sense because you, you give me a victory over him and then, you know, he goes on to do whatever he did. And then he gave me a victory the next month over Chris Saban. And then they come back and we have a three-way ultimate X match in January. And yeah, that's where AJ Styles should be the one that, that finally beats me. So it, it was good storytelling. Um, at the time I just saw like, well, I'm nowhere to be found, you know, kind of. And then that was, um, it, it was an emotional night because, uh, it, it was, you know, when I first, the, the, Scott Demore was my, you know, coach and team Canada, but he also trained me to wrestle. And he also said that he didn't, like, Peter, you're such a great worker, but you know, your size and stuff like that. And at the time it was a bigger man industry. We were transitioning into that, you know, uh, a little bit more athletic, smaller guys like you see now. Uh, and he's like, you know, you're such a great worker, but you know, I just don't see you making it anywhere and all that kind of stuff. And, but I, you know, I kept on trying and stuff like that. So when I finally got there and Scott was right next to me, he was just so proud of me. And, you know, we, we go in the back and, you know, it, it wasn't so much that I won the match or anything like that. It's like that we were there. We were in the big time. This was like a big, big thing for, for both of us because he never thought I'd make it there. I never thought that he would coach me up to the point where I was at where I can actually achieve that goal. And then we were like crying. Like, you know, we were just hugging each other crying because we were so proud of each other. And then, you know, Bobby Roode and Eric Young come over to kind of hug too because they, they came out at the end of the match. And then when they saw us crying, you know, Bobby Roode was like, you know, you guys are a-holes. I'm leaving. You guys are going to make me cry kind of deal. So, um, yeah, there was a lot of pressure just because, you know, I've never been there before and it was all new for me. I didn't know what to expect. I know that, I'm not sure was it after the Saban match or the Styles match, but there's a great photo of you jumping into Scott Demore's arms, like holding that the was after, title. Yeah, that was after the uh, AJ Styles match. Yep. Um, definitely, because then you had... Uh, Bobby and Eric, I think, in the background mm -hmm. coming out. Um, yeah, so that was after the victory road. Because I believe um, on that night, possibly, I think Team Canada won. No, they didn't win the tag titles. Maybe that was the next pay-per-view. Um, but all the same. Uh, yeah, that was the victory road pay-per-view. So that brings us to Ultimate X. Uh, you, you'd worked on Ultimate X before this. This was your second Ultimate X, Final Resolution 2005. Are they scary? <laughs> Oh yeah, I mean definitely. They're they're a, a, a different type of match, um, and you don't train like when you go to wrestling school. Yeah, they're not like all right, you know, you're gonna train to be a wrestler, put together basic matches and stuff like that, and then you know after twelve weeks you're gonna train to do ladder matches and cage matches and alternates. There's no training with this. It's kind of like they set it up, and I, I believe that was my maybe second alternate X match. So I had been in one before in Nashville. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're just like, okay, what, what, 
we have to fall from here. Like nothing prepares you. And it's not like you can, you know, go on a house show or anything like that and practice some of the stuff. No, it's, they set it up that day and they're like, okay, good luck. Do you do any like upper body exercises to make sure you can actually like hang from the wires? <laughs> oh, I mean, I believe everybody that's, um, you know, at that level can hang from the wires. You know, I'm pretty sure everybody can do a pull up or any, anything like mm. that. So there was no extra training where, you know, like Ninja Warrior or anything like yeah. that, where I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, climb these monkey bars or anything. I knew I could hold myself up. That wasn't a problem. Um, it's, you know, the the falling off of it, um, <laughs> trying to not kill yourself pretty much. So what memories do you have of this match? Because I think one of the best one-two punches in TNA pay-per-view history is because right before this, you have the Team Canada AMW tag match, which is a great match. And then you guys go out and follow with what I think is the best Ultimate X match in TNA history. It's it's phenomenal. What do you remember of the match? Um, well, I remember... Uh, well, I'll start off with afterwards, because it leads me into what happened before that. You know, I'm reading uh, one of the dirt sheets or whatever, and, you know, they gave it a whatever star rating it was. Um, but, you know, they had also said in the dirt sheet that myself, Chris Saban, and AJ Styles have been putting this match together for weeks which is totally false i remember and this is supposed to go back to you know before you know earlier on in that day a final resolution uh, i remember i don't know what aj was doing but saban and i are kind of sitting in the ring getting ready to like you know put together some stuff for this match and we keep like are trying to look for aj i don't know if aj has pre-tapes or whatever the case may be um or he, he had other media stuff going on and finally, I looked at Saban because we we're kind of just sitting in the corner of the ring, and I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, "Man, you know what? We really need to find AJ because it's getting close to the show, and we got nothing. We got to put this together." So when they said that, so that you know, don't always believe what the dirt sheets say. <laughs> um, so we finally get together, uh, put together, you know, some stuff, and we're later on in the show anyway. So during the show, we can you know also talk about some stuff. Um, but to practice anything, you know. Uh, intricate or contrived or anything like that uh, we'd have to practice it with the ultimate x up um and i remember coming up with the finish of the match that i thought was was great great storytelling and stuff um and it actually ended up playing out that way uh but it almost didn't um the, so you know the end of the match uh during the match the storytelling was you know you got aj obviously who's going to win the match and i injure his arm in the match and then when he tries to climb uh, he can't hang on, you know, like, so you take away, um, you know, you, what you have to do to, to win the match is, you know, you have to use two arms and he can't do it and he falls down. So, you know, it puts the, you know, AJ in jeopardy. Like, how is he, he he's out. He can't win this match because he can't, he can't climb. Like, how's he going to do it? So, um, Saban and I were up there at the same time. We both pull off the belt at the same time, kind of doing a tug of war and AJ does a springboard and with his good arm, knocks it out of our hands and grabs it which i thought was beautiful storytelling you know he outsmarted us it made him look really strong he overcame all the odds the adversity like of of being injured and stuff and himself being in jeopardy and it, it, i thought it made him look really strong at the end of the match you know it was a good payoff for the storyline i believe and uh i remember you know kind of running the finished by tna management and they said nope i don't like it and i'm like wait what and they said yeah it makes aj look too weak 
And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how does this make him look weak? Like, obviously, they wanted something like, oh, AJ hits the Styles Clash, climbs up and, you know, grabs the the belt, which I, I believe is no, absolutely no drama whatsoever. Mm. So, I, you know, I wanted to build the drama and stuff. And um, finally, I, I kind of explained myself. And usually I would just give up and be like, all right, well, we'll do whatever you want. But, you know, I really felt very confident that it would come off really good. And I, 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 I kind of, you know, explained my case and then. You know, teenage management kind of didn't say anything, was just kind of thinking about it. And they go, ah, screw it, do the finish. <laughs> so it was almost like, okay. And it ended up being one of the best finishes for an Alto Next match that almost didn't get to happen because of whatever reason. Didn't make AJ look strong enough, which I thought it made him look even stronger because he outsmarted us. Um, he overcame an injury, all those things. Um, so, I mean, that, that's what I remember for the match. And the only other thing I really remember is uh, um, we're, we're out there and the ref was giving us time cues. And the ref gave one time cue, he said, like, five minutes or something like that. And I, I didn't hear him. And I said, what? And he goes, nothing. And I said, no, I need to know the time cue. What? And he says, uh, they said, don't worry about it. Just keep going. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, I'm like, what? what are we creating right now? Like, what are we actually doing? Because usually – we got to stick the times, but I guess, I don't know if like Jeff Jarrett was in the back saying like, this match is awesome. Just let him go. We'll take off time off of the next match, all this kind of stuff. Um, that's how much it was enjoyable. I've never been in that situation before. So I, I, you don't realize you're creating something special until you, you go back and you, you look at it and you know, you, you talk about it, you know, 15 years later. And the next match would have been Jeff. Jeff and Monty was the main event. So maybe, like, maybe that's Jeff being like, take some time off uh, my match. These guys need it. Maybe. I mean, we already had like, oh, I don't know, like 20 minutes or so. Um, but maybe he, you know, saw that we were getting close to going to the end. So just don't rush it, you know, play the part. Who, who knows what it, what it actually was. But it was just, I've never had that before where they say, don't worry about time. Never. Because, you know, and, and you know, maybe our pay-per-view was going short for all I know. Maybe they actually, you know, we were already two minutes short, so we had to go, we had to add two minutes somewhere. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it was, that was a pretty special uh, night as well. And yeah, when you're talking about the finish, just like even putting aside the storytelling, but the visual of AJ springing from the ropes halfway across the ring while you and Saban are having the tug of war and knocking it down is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's part of it, what I wanted. Like, just. You know, like the visual of it, the drama, him winning the belt, them not expecting it. We're up there. Everybody's eyes are on us tugging the belt. Oh, who's going to win? PD or Saban? PD or Saban? This was, oh, is PD going to retain that belt again? And then AJ out of nowhere springs into the shot and grabs it. Uh, beautiful. I want to talk about another Ultimate X match, actually. The Bound for Glory one, where the X, you are on the mat, on your knees, willing the X to come down, and it drops into your hands. What happened in that match? Oh, it was supposed to happen. No, was I'm, it? I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, yeah, they, they tied up the, the X, um, the big wooden X with some tie straps. And um, every time we, like, fell off the ropes, uh, like the, the, the cables that were hanging, the X cables, every time we fell off, it kind of, you know, made gave those ropes a spring and then just snapped the cables. And it, it fell probably... And they do a good job of, you know, camera work and stuff um, of not filming the X falling down or after it fell down, 
you know, we have stage hams, grab a ladder, climb up there and rehang it. And then we have to just kind of do something else. So the cameras aren't on them on the outside. So it fell, I want to say at least twice. And we were getting pretty frustrated because we're like, this is taken away from the match and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, so when it was fall, after it fell the second time, they put it back up and then, um, I can't remember what I did right before that, but like Michael Shane or, or Chris Saban, they fell off the ropes and then it was the X was springing again. So as a joke, cause the whole, all the fans saw it fall twice as a joke, I'm standing under there being like, Oh, come on, fall this time. I'm ready for it this time. And it actually <laughs> fell into my hands and I grabbed it and I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> Like, and then Scott runs in the ring and goes, celebrate, you won. (laughs) He was my manager. And I'm like, okay. So I hold it up because I was upset because, I mean, this isn't how it was supposed to end. Like, we we were just getting to the good stuff. And I remember at the time, Dixie Carter was sitting in the front row. And I look at her, and she kind of gives me this shoulder shrug like, oh, well. And I gave her it back. And I think there's a a picture of me giving the shoulder shrug too, holding the X. And, um, so, you know, I mean, I thought that could have been probably one of the best finishes of an ultimate X match ever as well. It's purely coincidental. It is like, cause you're the dastardly evil Canadians and you didn't win the match on merit. It just literally fell into your hands. It's it amazing. fell into my hands. Yeah. And we had to go and the next night, uh, refill, well, not refilm it, but that was live on paper. So the next night, you know, they made an announcement for our TV show because we would film on Monday. It would air on Thursday. I don't know if we were on Spike already um, or if we were still doing Fox Sportsnet. But they apologized to the fans for the malfunction, and they're going to give us another Ultimate X match. So now, as wrestlers, you're like, now we have to kill ourselves again <laughs> two nights in a row. And, you know, and my argument was, like, I was supposed to win that match to begin with. So I'm like, we won. Let's move on. Yeah. And they're like, no, we, we don't want to, you know – uh, short the fans i'm like oh, okay so my argument was like so now i'm gonna beat these guys again i'm like this is burying them and they got upset at me that i was like looking out for you know two other wrestlers and uh so i'm like okay i guess we're doing it again um but yeah, that's what happened then and um yeah that, that was still <laughs> i always forget about that match but um it could have been. It could have ended differently. That's uh, shortly after that Team Canada breaks up. How did you feel about the breakup? Because it felt like like after the breakup, there wasn't much plans for you. No, there wasn't. And you could tell that um, when Team Canada was together, they were gonna have me, you know, kind of be the breakout star. And then, um, you know, that never ended up happening. And then I kind of just floundered for 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 a long time. Um, and they kind of just. Which, you know, uh, I, I blame it on them because they did, they built me up so much that they just wasted their, all their investment, their TV time and everything on me just to, you know, do nothing. And I was like, oh, okay, sure, if that's what you guys want to do. But then you fast forward to, you know, uh, maybe 2000 and I don't remember what year it was maybe 2005 or six 
and we do our first monthly pay-per-view outside of the Impact Zone. That's and it the was, Detroit one back before 2006? Um, yeah, okay, so that, that's probably what it is. Yeah, 2006. And uh, um, I'm trying to think of how it went. You had, I uh, you I, I the just Kevin Nash open invitational gauntlet deal in that show. That's that's what it was. So I had just moved to Orlando. I yeah. figured like, hey, cut down on travel time and all that stuff. I'll move down there. And um, yeah, we did that open invitational, and Jerry Lynn was the agent for the match. And he says, "PD, I got good news and bad news for you." And I said, "Okay, let's hear it." And he goes, "Well, um, I can't remember how he put it, but he's like, you know, the bad news is you're only gonna be in the ring for like." two minutes and i'm like okay and he says the good news is you know we have 20 competitors we need somebody that is going to get like an, a pretty good reaction to be the 20th person in there and it, it's i figured it would be you and you go in there and you do a destroyer to somebody or two people and then you get you know eliminated i'm like okay yeah no problem and then i asked jerry i said hey can we at least play my old team canada music you know, maybe it'll get a reaction. He's like, uh, and they thought about that. They said no. And they said, yeah, okay, fine, let's do it. And we do it, and the place goes absolutely bananas. I was not expecting it to go, to, to, to them to go, you know, that wild. And I go in there, and they're going nuts when I hit the Canadian Destroyer and all that kind of stuff. Then I get eliminated. Um, before the show, we had just got new management. Vince Russo was now the new uh, head of creative. And I wanted to talk to Russo earlier in the day about, like, hey, what are you guys doing with me? You know, I just moved to Florida. Um, is there a storyline? I've been doing nothing for months. And Russo's, like, kind of blew me off and was like, yeah, you know, um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk eventually. And I'm like, oh, this is great. So I figured, like, I just moved to Florida and now i am got nothing to do. And then after he sees that, I'm, you know, I come back. That was the opening match, I believe. I'm watching like the next few matches and Russo actually came up to me and says, Hey Petey, he's like, I think we should talk about, you know, um, you know, some character development with you. So now he wants to talk to me because he realizes we're outside of the impact zone. People around the world react differently to these wrestlers. And it's because the impact zone, it's a lot of the same people over and over again. Um, and now we're so close to Canada. Like, wow, we might have something with this guy. Um, I kind of thought of the direction he wanted to go in. He says, you know, I feel like what you have to do is just embrace America. And I'm thinking like, (laughs) oh, jeez. I know it's not going to work because I'm Canadian. I'm very patriotic. I'm like, this is going to be such a stretch. People And people aren't going to buy it. It's like, oh, all of a sudden he likes – he's been talking trash about U.S. for so long and all of a sudden he likes it. I mean, yeah, 1988, that would probably work. But in 2006, I don't believe it would work. And it didn't. Like, I was in some storylines with LAX protecting the American flag and all this kind of stuff. And I got in a feud with, like, James Storm and everything. Um, But then that was it. And then I was off TV again for six months. And then that's when Russo, I think it was, like, Bound for Glory the next year in Atlanta, he said to me, he said, hey, we need to come up with some sort of character for you. And that's where the Maple Leaf Muscle character came in. So what, what was the inspiration for that character? Was it like, we want to put a guy with Steiner, PD, you're the guy? Or was it character first and then put you with Steiner? Yeah, it was character first. So I'm thinking of all these characters and things I could do. And Russo said no to a lot of them. Because they were like, yeah, those are more like just storylines. I need a character from you. And I'm like, oh, jeez. And then Alex Shelley said, why don't you... Um, yeah, he, we didn't have the name yet. He's like, there's these guys in Japan... They call themselves uh, 
muscle, something muscle. And he said, like, you know, they have different characters. Like, one guy is, is like, speed muscle and, like, another because he's fast. And another guy is whatever. That's and he's, like, and they're bad. Yeah, doing, yep, exactly. So, um, and this is before they started working with us. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And he's like, yeah, you know, you, you can, like, some heel tactics you use. You come out with rubber bands, choke a guy with it. Um, instead of powder in the eyes, you could throw protein powder in the eyes. There's so much to do with it. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And so I'm like, but I don't know if Russo's going to like it. And then I said, well, what if I was like pretended I was like a bodybuilder or whatever. That's what I was doing on my off time. And, you know, I'll switch my trunks and stuff like that. And then I pitched this to Russo and he's like, okay, okay, sounds good. And I think what got him is I said, I'll wear the, uh, you know, because I was wearing biker shorts at the time. I said, I'll switch to trunks, kind of like, you know, bodybuilders wear trunks. But bodybuilders wear like very, very very skimpy trunks so i think he was like wait you'll wear the trunks and i'm like yeah and he goes oh okay so i think he was like maybe he thought this was gonna be a comedy character and he had some ideas in his head and he's like um okay that sounds good so um you know they gave me a promo and russo liked the promo and he's like okay pd now listen that was a great promo it's like a backstage one he's like now in order for this character to work this this you know um you know, your character, your charisma, all that stuff in this promo has to translate in the ring as well. So you can't just go in there and be a pro wrestler. You have to, you know, show your charisma and your attitude and all that kind of stuff so people understand, so they correlate. And I'm like, okay. And then they had me win uh, a feaster fired briefcase. And uh, the other guys that were won it were Chris Daniels, myself, Scott Steiner, and I think uh, Road Dog. And... Uh, after we had did the match, we had another match with the four of us winners. Um, we kind of competed and the winner could either keep their briefcase or exchange it with any other briefcase, not knowing what the contents of the briefcase were. So in the match, I just decided, I said, Hey, you know, what if I start it? And I asked Steiner if it was okay. I'm like, what if I start mimicking him? Like when he does the clothesline and the elbow and pushups, I do the clothesline and elbow and push-ups and he's kind of looking at me and we just had a little something it was nothing big just a little something i just wanted something in there and then um and that was like make or break for for me uh, that time like russo was like <clears throat> it's got to translate in the ring so i get to the back russo standing there and he goes Petey, come here and i'm like oh crap he goes why didn't you tell me sooner that you could have been doing this character oh my god this is great he's like i see you maybe later on down the road you and steiner could be a team and like and that's like maybe six months down the road and all this kind of stuff um but his idea was like wait immediately me and steiner are going to be in a feud for a couple months and then we're going to be a tag team and he just like did it immediately rather than down the road and build it up um but i mean that was that was russo's call like he he allowed me to do that and kind of gave me you know, open creativity to say, hey, yeah, let's do this. How did Steiner feel about it? He loved it. I got along great with Steiner. Um, I think he liked it because and they did some things I didn't want to do with the character. Like, they wanted to call me Little Petey Pump, and I'm like, come on, guys. Like, mm-hmm. that's ridiculous, right? Um, and I told him in my promo I didn't want to say it. And he's like, you should you better say it. He's like, say what you want, but, you know, I'm telling you. So I said it, but I said it in a way like, Hey, Scotty, you may think that I'm little Petey Pump to your big Papa Pump, but I'm the Maple Leaf Muscle Blow. So I made sure I said it. 
Um, and you know, Steiner would always call me little Petey pump and stuff. And the, the other thing was they wanted to do was, um, the commentators would put over that I was a big fan of Scott Steiner's. Um, and I would start like doing some of his moves and stuff. So they wanted to like almost have me be like a fanboy to Scott. Um, and I'm trying to earn his respect and all that kind of stuff. So they, they portrayed it like that. So Scott obviously loves that. Like, uh, you know, imitation is the best form of flattery. So he's like, oh, this guy's imitating me. That's great because I'm a big star and this guy wants to be like me. So Scott loved it. Um, and then Scott asked me like, hey, do you want to shave your head? Because we were doing all this initiation stuff. And I was actually about to get married relatively soon. And I was kind of on the fence if I wanted to keep long hair or short hair. Um, so they didn't really have to do much to talk, talk me into it. I was like, yeah, let's shave my head because I kind of wanted to shave it for my wedding. And the blonde hair, um, Scott had mentioned, hey, why don't you dye your hair blonde? And I took it a step further. I did my hair and my goatee blonde. So just because I knew it would help, you know, the character and the development of it. And I thought it would be good, entertaining TV. Um, so, yeah, Scott and I got along great. Um, and I, I loved every minute of it. I think he loved it, too. There is the infamous Steiner math promo. Did you have trouble keeping a straight face? Yep, and if you watch it, I actually, I'm trying to do the math, then it's not making sense, <laughs> and then, and I don't know what he's going to say, that was all one take, and uh, I, if you look at it, I look directly into the camera, like, are we still filming? <laughs> okay, I guess we are, and then I go back into promo mode, and um, that was it. I didn't know that that was going to be talked about for years to come, and it was going to be so... Um, you know, such a big thing. Uh, I, I did hear just recently, like maybe a couple months ago, that Steiner didn't write that promo. I don't know how true it is. So this is new evidence coming up. I heard that Russo wrote the promo and gave it to Scott, and Scott had to memorize it. And I was like, I don't, I don't think so, because I'm not sure. And then I on Twitter, some you know math teacher actually did the math, and he says the math checks out. I'm like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> it did not make sense to me, but I, I guess. And then, um, you know, when we just did Redemption in April, um, you know, Scott Steiner was back on the show. And this wasn't supposed to be written into the script, but I think Scott and Sanjay wrote it in at the last minute. And they're like, hey, we're going to have an interaction between you and Steiner because you guys are both back in the same company. I think it would be good just to have some sort of little interaction. And I was like, all right. And I said, let me see if I can get Scott to do another math problem, math, like solving problem promo. And they're like, all right. So I asked Scott and I'm like, Hey, uh, Steiner, can you do another math problem? And he's like, Oh man, I don't know. He's like, Oh, I, I mean, how, how long do I have? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I said, just make something up. <laughs> like, you know, just make up, throw out some numbers. And he's like, no, he's like the math's got to add up. I'm like, <laughs> All right. So then, you know, we do it and I start doing some math and then he walks in my shot and starts saying what he said. And, you know, there's a lot of inside joking in there. Um, but I loved it. Like it was it, it was great to make it, you know, come full circle um, and kind of, you know, give the fans another taste, I guess. Because when he returned in April, like I, I know people love that promo. So I'm like, I'll just throw that promo on Twitter. And it's the biggest tweet in the history of the Impact Twitter account. So... People, people certainly remember the Scott Steiner math promo. 
Yeah, there's a, I mean, I think there's a t-shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees that's, you know, has the problem on it. And I mean, that was, that was so, maybe one of the best promos in Impact in TNA history, possibly. Uh, it's just because it goes on and on. When you think it's going to stop, he's still doing math. And, and it's just so funny coming from Steiner because you know, your perception of Steiner is he's this like big, brute jock that's possibly dumb. And now he's doing like Einstein math problems. It's like that. I mean, he should have kept on going with that, if anything. Um, but yeah, it was great, absolutely great. It's that University of Michigan education. <laughs> uh, well, he calls it um, uh, not a college scholarship, but to Samoa Joe, he said a college ship. I remember <laughs> one of the live promos, which was funny. Joe trying to keep a straight face. So after after Steiner, that that was kind of the end of your run, wasn't it? Um, yeah, so then they said, uh, you know, then uh, Steiner kind of tore his ACL. Not kind of, he actually did tore his ACL. And uh, I remember doing house shows with him and having to t- tag with him and do all the work because he couldn't bend his knee. And then, you know, he finally said, I got to have surgery. And I was like, oh, what's happening with me now? So, you know, I kept on doing my Maple Leaf muscle. And I, I think I was X Division champion at the time when he was uh, – had surgery and you know he might stand with me and stuff like that um but then i lose the belt and then he's about to return from injury um and this is another thing that i totally disagreed with management on they said he was he joined the main event mafia so when the main event mafia was beating us up steiner was supposed to come out with a lead pipe and and you know hit us all with it and i said well hold on time out i said i have so much history with steiner we've been teaming for a year Without no explanation, he's just going to hit me with a lead pipe like he did everybody else. And they're like, yep. And I'm like, okay, that makes no sense. I got to fight on this one. And they weren't having any of it. So I said, okay. I said, not that I'm going in business for myself, but I'm like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have stuff not make sense. I mean, it's just, it's beyond me. Um, the, TNA used to do that all the time. It's like, oh, you know, that's in the past. We don't have to even address that. There was no continuity. So I told Steiner about my dilemma, and he said, um, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I said, well, why don't we do this? Since, like, Booker T and somebody else is in the ring, I said, why don't you come in the ring? You hit, you know, wrestler one with the pipe, wrestler two with the pipe. I'll come at you, try like, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You go to hit me, wrestler three, but then wrestler, you stop. But then wrestler four comes, you hit him with it, and then Booker T jumps me from behind. So that at least you don't hit me. Um and one of the other guys does. He's like, perfect, let's do that. And I'm like, okay, let's see if he actually does it. And he actually did it because he knows it. He knew it made sense. And then they had no choice but to make a storyline out of it because, I mean, they had to. Like, you can't just negate uh, history. I think that was a, a problem with TNA back in, back in the past. Um, so then from then on, uh, I went and I, I tried to talk to Sky, Steiner and uh, go into the main event mafia locker room and, Booker T trying to kick me out, and Scott's like, hey, we'll talk later. And then that's when he did the turn. They kind of all left me laying. Um, and then when I came – and then I was I was off for months. And uh, my contract was about to expire, so I figured, hey, this is probably their way of, of sending me out because they, you know, I'm not doing a Steiner thing anymore. They're going in another direction. Um, and then they bring me back to TV, and I remember the match was Steiner versus AJ, and McFoley was the special guest referee, and I was going to cost Steiner the match. So I did a run-in, gave him a top rope drop kick or whatever, and then AJ gave him the Pele and pinned him when 
uh, Foley was distracted by whoever. Uh, or maybe the ref had bumped and maybe Foley was the outside enforcer. I don't remember the whole circumstances. And uh, then I was back. And I remember that day, Terry Taylor was the talent relations director at the time. He says, hey, we want to re-sign you to another contract. I was like, okay, great. Let's let's talk about this. Um, so, you know, my agent and them were talking about re-signing the contract and everything was going good. And then um, it was leading up to myself and Scott Steiner at the pay-per-view. Um, and then right before the pay-per-view, Terry Taylor gave me a call and he was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're releasing you from your contract once it expires in March. And I'm like, what do you mean? You just said like six weeks ago that you wanted to resign me. Like what's happening and stuff. And, you know, he gave me the whole, oh, we got nothing for you and all that kind of stuff, even though I'm in an active storyline. Um, and he said, listen, you know, we just ask that you don't tell anybody um, until your last day here. And I was like, all right. So like my last day was, it was the pay-per-view. And then the next day I had to wrestle Steiner again, um, like a headdress on a pole match or something to who, who's, he was going to, you know, keep the headdress gimmick, I guess. And then the next night, um, it was myself and Eric Young versus Bobby Roode and James Storm and Bobby Roode and James Storm beer money. They were doing an angle where they were, um, you know, retiring people or however you call it. Like the off the wagon geared, challenge. Yes, that's thank you very much. Um, so they're like, yep, that's going to be it. And then I remember I haven't told, I didn't tell anybody it was my last day. And then, you know, whenever we're getting to go ready for our match and stuff, it was probably like about a half hour before we got out there, you know, they asked me like Bobby Rudy's like, what do they do? Just like repackaging you. And I'm like, I don't know. And then I finally just, you know, just so they, just in case they didn't know, or their, uh, my head wasn't in the match and stuff like that. Cause it really wasn't, cause, you know, I'm trying to. It's my last day for a company I worked for for five years. And, you know, I'm not going to see the guys that I've traveled with for five years. They were like family to me and my brothers and stuff. And um, now I'm jobless kind of deal. And so I finally said, hey, guys, just so you guys know, this is my last match here. I'm done after today. And nobody believed me. Like they were like, stop messing with us. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you. And they were all just like kind of they were just so shocked. Like we stopped calling the match like that was it. And then we like nothing else mattered we just kind of went out there and did it and i remember telling other wrestlers like homicide i was like hey man i just want you to know it's my last day here you know it's been nice and he's like shut that you know f up and i'm like no i'm serious and he's like get out of here man stop messing with us like don't don't try to work us boys I, we know we're the repackaging nobody would nobody believed that i was getting released and that they were it was my last day there just people couldn't fathom this and then you know, we go out there, do the match, and then Bobby pins me at the end, and he's like, you know, I love you, Petey. And that was that. And it's kind of like, you know, those are the guys I started with in there, Eric and Bobby. And it's just funny that I kind of ended with them, too. And I remember walking to the back, and I've never seen this before either. Um, I get to the back, I'm on the top of the stairs, and I turn around to the locker room, and a good majority of the locker room is, uh, you know, looking up at me. Just It starts clapping. And I walk down the stairs, and there's, like, like grown men that I've never seen cry before, crying. I'm like, whoa, like, this is – and this was this was step number one because I was the first one to get released. And if you look at after my release, they just started cleaning house. And you know, nobody, like, we, we all started there. 
uh, back in 2004 when we first went down to Orlando. So to have one of our own kind of, yeah, you're not with us anymore, I think it was like a huge shock to the locker room. And I remember a couple of the other wrestlers telling me like, hey, do I have anything to worry about? Like asking management, do I have anything to worry about? Oh, no, no, your job's safe. And sure enough, you know, they get fired within weeks or whatever the case may be. Um, so, I mean, but that's business. I totally understand it. I don't hold any grudges because I know life goes on and my life did go on. And look, it, I'm back at Impact now and it's 2018. So, and you got a guy like Sanjay who was released shortly after, shortly after me saying, no, your job's safe. And then they cut him. Now he's running the company, being the head of creative. So, I mean, you, you just never know what the future is going to hold. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's great to be back because it's with, you know, I'm building a new family, you know, like it's guys that I've started with like Scott and Sanjay. Um, and it's, it's, I'm having the time of my life. I, I'm having a better time now than I did, uh, before. Cause I know this doesn't last forever and I'm just kind of soaking it in before I used to be worried about oh, the quality of my matches and stuff. I still worry about that, but now I'm like, I just go out there and I enjoy it so much more now. What better note to end on PD work and people find you online. Uh, they can find me on Twitter at, I, Petey Williams. Also, um, you can also find uh, myself and Dennis Farrell. We have a podcast. Um, it's called the Wrestling Perspective Podcast. It usually uploads Thursday night. Uh, we also have another side podcast on the Wrestling Perspective called the Dugcast with Dennis Farrell and uh, James Ellsworth, and I think they upload theirs on Tuesday. Alright, that is Final Resolution 2005. What do you think, Dave? Enjoyed this show. I feel like, you know, it, it, the three-hour pay-per-views are really getting into a groove here where you, it's kind of set the template for there's going to be two or three matches that are just worth the price alone and a lot of valuable stuff on the undercard and a main event with some stars in it. So kind of getting into the feel of what these pay-per-views were. I think in an era now where you have a lot of pay-per-views that not ours, but other companies where they are a bit bloated perhaps like seven um, hours long <laughs> seven hours three hour pre-show oh. and uh and a brand new episode of road trip afterwards sure. um that's, so that's a lot of content so it's just to have a nice two hour 50 minute pay-per-view is it's just just the right amount of time to hold my attention so worth checking out folks with your uh your free 30-day trial I feel like that that template, that formula of good solid TV. Like the TV's not mind blowing. It's 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 not even like essential. It's just you know solid good. It it gets the stories where they need to be, and then they just go in there every month and have these kick ass pay per views where they have like buzzworthy match of the year contenders every month, and usually one or two. And you know that's what builds the momentum. That that really great wrestling that builds these stars. Like AMW just had two of the best matches. Of, well, they're in separate years so technically one of the best matches of 2004 and then one of the best matches in 2005 back to back and like how can that not make you want to see what AMW does next month that's it and you know speaking to the TV specifically I think there's shows that I don't know if you could pull off in uh, in current era I don't think you could because you know there's so much wrestling television on these days there's so much wrestling content being generated to just have kind of a, a show that's very good 
I think this is the only time a show like that could have been on the air. And I know shortly after this, um, they lost the Impact TV deal and got it back with Spike for for that long run there. But um, you know, it's a real it's a real moment in time. These shows, and and that's why I'm I'm uh, enjoying watching through each one because uh, yeah, it's a time and a place. They're really good shows, and you're not going to find this anywhere else now. Yeah, when you look at like that era, wrestling on television was just WWE, but even then, it's just like Ring of Honor, maybe like CZW and PWG. But now you have like New Japan and Noah and Dragon Gate and Red Pro and Progress and Evolve and freaking AAW and Smash, and literally everybody has access to everybody now. So you can't really do the good, just kind of good solid stuff anymore. It has to be great now, doesn't it? Absolutely, and not only does it have to be you know pitch perfect, but you're not just trying to be an alternative, you're trying to be an alternative to an alternative to an alternative mm-hmm. where it's, you know, trying to find that narrow slice of the pie to uh, to forge a fan base and a business model out of, and it's just more difficult than ever. So all of this to say is that, you know, these these shows were were pretty incredible, worth your time, just, to, just in terms of, you know, nostalgia factor, in terms of the, I did not know this guy came through at this time, I didn't know he wrestled him, and uh, good shows, good pay-per-view. And you can watch Final Resolution 2005 by subscribing to the Global Wrestling Network. Go to globalwrestlingnetwork.com or find the GWN app on most devices. Hopefully more is coming soon. Start your free 30-day trial now and you can watch the entire TNA pay-per-view archive. All of it. It's just sitting there waiting for you. Every single bit of it. So have fun. Go nuts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at GWN app or at Impact Wrestling. You can watch Impact on Pop every Thursday night at 8pm. I knew you said Friday. Jeez, it's not like I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Good God. Every Thursday night on Pop at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, you can watch Impact. Dave, up next, we have Against All Odds 2005, the first Phil Collins pay-per-view of the TNA era. <laughs> See, maybe you do running. Uh, I was thinking of adding a Phil Collins tag to GWN so that uh, all the Against All Odds and Genesis events appear when you search Phil Collins. See... That's a pretty uh, deep cut there. It is. No one's ever going to do it. I, yeah. I <laughs> that is literally to just to amuse yeah. myself. <laughs> well, what, what else is it for if not to amuse you? So yeah, we have Against All Odds coming up next. On behalf of Dave, Dave, say goodbye. Goodbye, Dave. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>